it's really good to see you and hear your voice again. It's been so long. I know. I was so pleasantly surprised. I was so touched. I mean, I'm so, yeah, I'm so excited. And this is definitely the highlight of the week. Oh, my but, goodness. <laughs> but especially this week. Like, oh I mean, seriously. <laughs> Where to even start? Well, let's start. How about you introduce yourself and you can say what your name is and what you do? Hi, I'm Esther. I'm a writer, former teacher, and now designer. And I live and work on a 35 foot sailboat named Hope. Welcome to a bonus episode of Rework, the podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Sean Hildner. And I'm Waylon Wong. I don't know if this has been the case for you, but sheltering in place has motivated me to either reconnect with people or be in touch with them more frequently. Like, I see my parents almost every day and my in-laws every week, all on Zoom. I'm texting a lot more with friends. You and I are even playing way more Dungeons and Dragons. There's something about facing all this collective existential dread that has brought us closer together. Well, you know my natural response to any upheaval is to hide away in a cold, dark cave, so I can't totally relate. But in that spirit of connection, you recently got in touch with an old friend, our former Basecamp colleague, Esther Lee. And her stay-at-home situation is a little different than what we've been living through here in the big city. Yeah, she and her husband, Michael, live on a 35-foot sailboat. I wanted to hear about her experience kind of distilling life down to its essentials and living with less in a material sense while building community and caring for others at full tilt. This conversation put wind back in my metaphorical sails, and I hope it does the same for you. How did you decide to live on a boat? Uh, that was a, a little bit of a process. It took a couple of years, but my husband and I, we started chatting about it. He's had exposure to sailboats as a, a young guy in Long Island and also in San Francisco with friends boats. It never occurred to him like, oh, that people could actually live on a boat and that sailing could be more of a regular part of our lives. And whereas myself, I had no background in sailing whatsoever. I mean, my parents are, yeah, immigrants and not that they can't have sailing experience, but they totally, <laughs> neither of them swim. They're not interested in sailing. Uh, we never went on vacations. So it's like, <laughs> we started talking about something that felt more aligned with us. We feel in some ways like kind of like misfits in a way. And I say that endearingly and for lack of better term, just meaning like I, I think that's one of the many things that my husband and I uh, feel connected to each other about. And we both had gone through the right steps where, in quotes, right steps where I was in academia, I was going down the whole tenure track road. He was also going to go into academia and the arts. And then we kind of thought, oh my gosh, the likelihood of us both finding tenure track jobs in the same city. So uh, just a lot of just questions and a lot of upheavals in our families. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So we just started questioning, like, what could we do that feels more like us? And that just began a journey of talking. We eventually watched that uh, documentary, um, The Min Minimalists. And we were living in Atlanta at the time. And he goes, you know, I know we've been talking about this, but what do you think about ramping up our plans, selling our place, getting a boat, but staying close to Atlanta just for a year or two and going from there? And I th he was really surprised because I just said, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Were you, were you surprised to hear yourself say, yeah, let's do it? A little bit, but I think there were so many things at play 
leading up to that point where I was feeling a lot of upheaval and stress and kind of yearning for a change. This decision is super scary. It's exhilarating and it's bewildering, but you know what? It's going to be okay. Like we'll either find out we don't like it or we find out we fail and we go to the next thing and it's going to be all right. So we sold our place, made just enough to buy this boat, 1994 Island Packet 35, and she needed some work. And that's why we were able to afford her. So we moved aboard and did the work as we went, which, you know, <laughs> that has its challenges and hilarity. And um, how did you settle on the name? The boat was already named Hope. And Michael and I, we're kind of, we're pretty dark humored, especially Michael. And it's kind of ironic, but in a way not too, because I also feel like deep, deep down where I were actually pretty big idealists in hiding. And so it felt right. We actually really liked that name. And what was it like to downsize into living in a 35 foot space? You know, Michael and I, we both are artists. Like I, I've, from a writing background and Michael's photography. And I just bring that up because especially with the photography inherently, you know, brings in a lot of equipment. And that certainly was the case. We had so many books and foot photography equipment and a larger. So um, downsizing for the most part actually wasn't too bad. What I found surprising was we really got a kick of where certain sentimental things were going to go. Like all the poetry books and stuff we donated to an arts high school and that just like made me so happy and they were just like oh my god are you serious so yeah I just it was like win-win Michael's photography equipment too went to like cool people and he gave away his records special you know certain records to special friends and and so that that whole process actually was really kind of lovely um I think the hard part about downsizing I'm trying to think would be the very like 5% that was left. I struggled with it more than Michael. Like, for instance, he was taking a stack of his prints to the dumpster. And I, like, grabbed them. I said, no, no. And he he goes, Esther, I have the negatives. It's going to be okay. And what was the first kind of big trip that you took on your boat? We've kept it pretty local, to be honest, because we were in Atlanta, so we explored the lake. And then when we moved down to Jacksonville, Florida, we had to move from one area called Green Cove Springs to where our home port is now. It's not that far. It's only about, you know, 25, 30 miles. But it was that was a big step for us because we were kind of launching and sailing and it was kind of on a little bit of a rainy day. So... That tested my <laughs> my own anxieties, but, but it ended up being such a beautiful sail. And we were kind of yearning for that because we were just coming out of Green Cove Springs and doing about two, three work, weeks of work um, on the boat when it's on the hard, which if anybody doesn't already know, it's like on the hard, meaning the boat's already is out of the water on these metal stilts. What does a good sail feel like? I would say probably, I mean, people would probably disagree depending on the sailing background, but we've actually had really great sails on light wind days, which a lot of folks who are into sailing, they want to go out when it's like, you know, 10, 
15 mile per hour winds. And that's great. But there have been days where we're like, you know what? It's less than five, but let's go out and try. And there is a challenge to that. And when you can actually get your sail to catch a little bit of wind and still move the boat in very light winds, you feel like such a badass, even though nobody else around you cares or would know. (laughs) (laughs) So for our newbie, you know, sailor, like those kinds of things feel really, I don't know, it's, it's pretty cool. And it feels almost like magic in a way when you don't, when you're, when you're at this kind of newer stage of learning about sailing and starting to connect the dots. What has this pandemic felt like in Florida, like in, in Jacksonville, where you are? How has it played out? I'm, I'm a little bit concerned because Florida obviously has a really high percentage of folks who are older. And and my mom is one of them. And so I'm just I'm just hoping we're taking enough precaution and early enough to like everyone. I know you and I have emailed about the whole efforts going around across the country to make masks for medical professionals everywhere. And my sister's an ER nurse, so this is particularly personal for me. And she did personally reach out and was like, I'm about to go back to work on Friday. All my coworkers were all freaking out. Can you and other folks start making masks? And so um, I'm seeing efforts taking place in Florida and different groups. And so that's really heartening to see. Do you have a sewing machine to make these masks? It's a sewing machine called or made by a company called Sailrite. And it, they're really popular in the, the, the sailing boating world. They're super sturdy. We got lucky and found one on eBay. And so you use that sewing machine when you need to make repairs or make anything for the boat itself. So it's built for those kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of goes back to something we were talking about, too, like in terms of, you know, life in a small space. That's been one of the cool lessons for me is like, oh, doing X, Y and Z, that's going to be really hard or that's not going to be very plausible or feasible. But Nine times out of 10, it actually works out. Like, I, I've been really surprised, like, you know, sewing these masks and cooking really, you know, yummy meals or Michael and I both being on this boat working under this pandemic, like all of us are doing. It's like we just we make it work and it works better than I think maybe people would think. We just communicate a lot. Everything's modular, including our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> we're like oh you're gonna work over there well i'm gonna work over here you have a meeting at this time okay then like right now he's being very mindful about this awesome conversation so he was like i'm gonna plan it to go work at the dinghy over you know at our oh. storage so <laughs> so yeah it's just like a lot of modularity <laughs> would you take the boat out on like a longer trip or is that not a good idea because like you would have to dock somewhere and like travel right now is frowned upon as it turns out, we actually were had a plan to do that before this pandemic. Our plan was to go out for our first cruising season around March. And the plan was to go out just for a couple of months. That was the plan was to kind of go south. And there's so much to explore in Florida alone, all the way down to the Keys. But I think shortly before the pandemic hit, as we ended up changing plans 
and postponing and saving up more money. And then the pandemic hit and, and Michael's like, wow, okay. So it's kind of made for us. But yeah, I think there are some barriers and obstacles if for the folks who are cruising right now. Yeah, um, clearly based on like where you're heading and if there are certain mandates in place, it makes it tricky if you're trying to provision and get supplies. Are you doing like freelance work right now? Like how are you balancing um, like the amount of time you spend working on the boat versus like working on some of your other projects? Mainly freelancing and by design have been keeping it less than full time. I'm wrapping up a project with Sierra Club right now. We're developing their first plastic reduction toolkit. So all the chapters around the country are going to be able to use this toolkit to enact successful, hopefully successful campaigns and ordinances to reduce plastic. I've never lived somewhere where you could see the tide so directly. So that's new for me. Even though I grew up in Florida, we didn't live near the water. So going out into the boat, I, you know, literally could work right here, but on the shore here by the marina too, every day, like seeing the tide go in and out. On one hand, it's like there's this beautiful, like the surface beauty is there, of course. But then, you know, when the tide is low, it's like, oh my gosh, look at all this trash. It's really, it's very sobering. And you were set to go out on a research expedition all around plastic in the oceans, right? Yeah, I'm super excited about it. And like everything right now, everything is to be determined under this pandemic, of course, as it should be. But yeah, just uh, <laughs> maybe a week before hand, I had received the really awesome news that um, I'd applied to uh, expedition. They're a woman-led, multidisciplinary crew of women uh, sailing around the world to re do research about microplastics. And so I was selected to do the um, Jao Pessoa Brazil leg to Barbados. And this would have taken place in January 2021, but I think things are obviously up in very up in the air there, but you can track them online. There's a crew out right now. And then, I mean, they were already out. Um, so, but yeah, it's an amazing, amazing um, organization. And it's all multidisciplinary women of different backgrounds. So cool. Um, can I ask what your book of poetry is about? Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the second book of poems is titled Sacrificial Metal. And they sparked from different experiences, either I've personally experienced or I've witnessed uh, different women of color in particular in academia and conversations I'd had back when I was still teaching. And I ended up having this amazing conversation with a former student. She was a dance minor, and she happened to mention this dancer and dance theorist, uh, Rudolf Laban, I'd never heard of. And for whatever reason, I I could not stop thinking about that. And so I started just writing these series of poems sparked conceptually about dance and human movement. And I was really questioning at that time, like, what does it look like when you're a part of a community? What does it feel like or look like when you feel exiled from a community? And they also kind of morphed into some poems and port like, I guess, portraits about experiences with my mom who's living with Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. So yeah, just thinking about that too. 
Have you been thinking about community a lot, given what's going on in the world? Absolutely. I hope, yeah, I hope all we all are right now. But yeah, but no, it's seriously though, it's like, you know, one of the cool things like people may like love about something like living on a boat, it certainly ha- gives you the opportunity to like s- learn a lot of like self-reliance, you know, and I appreciate that. I do. Like you, we mentioned the sewing machine, like that, just learning that skill is allowing me to feel like I can provide certain needed tools and comfort for my family. At the same time, this pandemic is like the literal reminder of how connected we are and what can happen to our detriment if we don't pay attention and look out for each other. So, yeah, um, I've been thinking about that a lot and just like, what can community look like? What does it look like here Um, in, in a place I'm... I have some ties to, but you know, we're kind of new. Do you want to close this out and read one of your, read one of your poems? So this is um, Laban Notation 26. As a boat capsizes, someone needs to do something, a witness says on the video. Sometimes you look at your mother and think, someone should do something. She points at her neck again, showing you tissues in the wastebasket, yellow pools on each one. She doesn't remember the tests, nor the diagnoses. The wind was fierce. You don't want to mess with it. What if joy, the therapist in your brain asks, is a recurring utterance simmering beneath our feet, and like tragedy, it occurs undeniably, relentlessly, every day. In the dead of night, someone goes under, another survives, your mother, both tourniquet and artery. Rework is produced by Waylon Wong and me, Sean Hildner. You can follow Esther and Michael's adventures on Instagram at wayfinders underscore now. They also have a website at wayfindersnow.com. Her new book of poetry is called Sacrificial Metal, published by Conduit Books. And we'll link to it in our show notes for this episode, which you can find at rework.fm. back in my sails. (laughs) I was like waiting for you to like edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) I would never.